1: Hey there, Ghostbusters fans, and welcome to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroot podcast for the week of August 26th, 2019. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about Nick Dissemlian's Wild and Crazy Guys, our first part of our book club discussion, uh, where we are joined by the Ontario Ghostbusters uh, for a roundtable chat about the book. Uh, and at the end of the show, I'll be talking a little bit about the Hasbro announcement that happened this weekend. Stay tuned, some fun stuff coming up.
3: I have found a small, computer-generated source of uh, script for Batman. And it has a Batman, an Alfred, a Joker, and a narrator, and I think we should all read it. Because it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Just give
1: me the first line here. Here we go. Interior, traditional Batcave. Batman stands next to his Batmobile and uses his Batcomputer. He's sometimes Bruce Wayne, sometimes Batman, all times orphan.
3: Chris, you're Batman. Okay.
2: Uh, pinch nose or not pinch nose? Oh, it's up to you, baby. You wa- I want you to feel the role. <laughs> this is now a safe city. <laughs> <laughs> I have plunged a penguin into prison.
1: Alfred, Batman's loyal butler, carries a tray of goth ham.
2: Oh, not Butler!
1: Battler. Oh, oh it's a battler. I'm sorry. This is the smallest print humanly possible <laughs> on my screen. At the control, moment. control plus. Make <laughs> it bigger. All right, uh, Solange, you're yeah, Alfred. Yeah, Solange, you're Alfred.
0: I'm Alfred. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh God! Eat a dinner, Mattress Wayne.
1: <laughs> An explosion explodes. <laughs> the Joker and Two Face enter the cave. Joker is a clown, but insane. Two Face is a man but attorney
2: no it is two face and one face they hate <laughs> hate me for being a bat
1: Batman throws Alfred at two face two face flips Alfred like a coin Alfred lands heads up which means two face goes home <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is just you and I Joker oh you and I the Joker Bat version clown moral moral enemies
3: alright Brian I am you guys are a Joker f- yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with it I am such a freak society is bad You drink water. I
2: drink anarchy. I drink bats just like a bat would.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Batman looks around for his parents, but they are still dead. This makes him (laughs) an (laughs) anchor. He fires a bat rocket. The Joker deflects it with his sixth sense of
3: humor a clownly power. I have never followed a rule. That is my rule. Do you follow? I don't.
2: Alfred, give birth to Robin!
1: <laughs> Alfred begins the process since it is his job. The Joker now has a present in his hand. He juggles it over to Batman.
3: Happy birthday, Batman. <laughs> birthman. <laughs> birth? Is it a happy Bat
1: Day yeah. birthday <laughs> yeah, Happy
3: Bat Day, Birthman.
1: Batman opens the present since he's a good guy. It contains a coupon for new parents, but it is expired. (laughs) This is a Joker joke. Oh boy. Hey, on that note, let's start. (laughs) Ah, No parents. parents. Alright, good warm up, everybody. That was
2: uh... ridiculous. My
1: god, that was something. I don't know (laughs) what that was, but it was something.
2: That for the Radio City Players.
1: <laughs> that was unequivocally without
2: a doubt something. Uh well, uh, now folks. It's going to get funnier.
1: To those to those who are just joining us, welcome to the book club about Ronald <laughs> and Crazy guys. <laughs> you you tuned in thinking we would be talking about the uh, greatest comedians of a generation, uh, and instead you were treated to a radio play with a nonsensical man <laughs> <laughs> script. I'm really uh,
3: digging the bottom of the barrel for these commercials.
1: I I'm I I enjoy it. <laughs> so Hello. Uh, I am Batman. No
0: Birthman. Uh,
1: Birthman. <laughs> Bat Dave Birthman. Birth yeah. Uh well let's let's start and in, in introduce our Ontario friends who have once again joined us, uh, because man, we had a whole lot of fun when we were doing Ghostbusters Daughter, and uh as soon as As soon as we decided that we were going to do this book, (laughs) we were like, let's do a book club. And that was a month and a half ago. So uh, (laughs) it is a wonderful thing to finally be happening. Uh, Solange, let's start with you. Uh, Introduce yourself so everybody can hear you and know your voice.
0: Uh, Well, I'm Solange with the Ontario Ghostbusters. Hello.
3: And Brian.
0: I'm waving. Can't see it, though. Can't
3: see it, podcast. No. It's, It's an audio medium.
1: Yep. Uh, but that, that, that silky pipe that you're hearing is uh, Briley. Say say hello to everybody, Briley.
3: Hello. Are you enjoying my silky pipe? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, of course, Mr. Chris Stewart, who you all are familiar with voice-wise, I hope, maybe, possibly.
2: I am a, I am a bat. <laughs> <laughs> my parents are bad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Alfred.
1: Oh, boy. We're off to a rollicking start, if you will. So,
3: I'd like to tell a story about Batman, if I may. I know this is a Ghostbuster podcast, but this has got to be What
2: is this? Yes, have something?
3: (laughs) Hey, oh. Hey, all right. No, let's get back to the book. So, the albino did it. My God. I didn't see that coming. Tell us the Batman story.
1: Tell us the Batman story.
3: Uh, We're at a convention. We're raising some money. There's a local Batman. He's doing a pretty good job. And he puts his head, or, or head, he puts his head around a kid. He puts his hand around a kid, and he leans in and he goes, "Puberty's gonna hit you hard." <laughs> and we were looking at him like, "Oh my god, what the?" You are the darkest night. I,
1: and and maybe he's gonna end up being right. Let's find out with that kid sooner yeah. than later here. Ten years from now. Ten years from now, let's catch up with the poor Batman kid who, uh, yeah. Uh but anyway, yes.
3: Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're here. Movie. To, we're here to talk about Wild and Crazy Guys by Nick DeSimlian. Um and uh this is a if you haven't picked it up, we're gonna end up talking uh pretty pretty in depth about the book, but um you know, there's a lot of stories in here that we all know, a lot of stories that I was not familiar with. Uh it does cover quite a bit of ground in terms of uh storytelling, uh all chronologically told so. If you haven't picked it up, please do, and uh, I don't think we'll be s- spoiling anything. It's kind of tough to spoil a nonfiction book like this, I believe. But uh, so, hopefully, if you have not read the book, you can enjoy this conversation as well.
3: Um, but uh, what we're spoiling is the '80s.
1: We're spoiling, yeah. Uh, a
3: lot if of the you stuff you are You have not you caught up with know. the '80s yet. <laughs> I mean, I recommend it before continuing on to the nineties. But uh, might
1: you no. might want to do that, especially uh, since we're revisiting the eighties. But hey, Sh- anyway,
0: should we should we give a might might ruin your childhood spoiler alert?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, I feel like that's probably yeah. Apropos.
2: I don't know if it's as much as the uh, Ghostbusters daughters ruining a childhood, but yeah, there's ah, it's kind a of a little bit.
3: Oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to save this comment for our actual discussion.
1: Yeah, let's let's do that. Right. So let's actually let's Stay dive down. in. Let's do it. Uh so maybe let's start just going around the room here and, and talking uh you know, broad broad strokes, what you thought of the book, uh what your impressions of the book were. Um, you know, what when you put this book down for the when you finished the very last page, uh what was running through your head? Uh Solange, maybe let's uh, let's start with you. What what did you think of the book in general?
0: Um I th- I thought that a lot of the assumptions that I had about some of these people were relatively correct. Um, I do also have a hard time reading any sort of biographical book or biography or anything like that without noticing the subtle bias in it. So I'll Mm. talk a little bit about that later to get in. But uh, yeah, I kind of, I don't know, no personalities are ruined for me. Everyone was kind of who I thought they were and, there were some really neat stories in there that I'd never heard of before, which I thought was really fun. So. Yeah,
1: and we'll we'll get into those, and maybe some uh, discussion about people that w- did surprise you, maybe things that you didn't know about certain people. Um, but uh, yeah, Bri- Bri- Briley, how about yourself?
3: It's the best e holly true Hollywood story I ever read. That's ki- Did that's, you guys notice that it kind of is. Guys notice isn't like it? every page break, every like line break reads like it's that true Hollywood. story going to commercial like if i flip to a random page here flippity flip okay he would not be called back by the academy for for the next year or ever again in his mind it was the trouser dropping that had sealed his fate (laughs) like it sounds like they're cutting to commercial (laughs) and i find that actually really helped me push through because it's like i gotta know was it the trouser dropping Uh, Did that happen? (laughs) Um, I I have to say, I got the I got a case of a little bit of the jealousies, and the oh god, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. Mm. Reading this, you know, uh, it really encapsulates all the reasons I wanted to be professionally funny, and all the reasons I stopped. Which is why I'm now so stoic.
1: You you really are, as evidenced by our Batman uh, reading at the top <laughs> top of the show.
3: Everybody knows you need the straight man to be the Joker.
1: <laughs> That's the best. He's not one. wrong. Yeah, he's, 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 not he's wrong. definitely not wrong, uh, Mr. Stewart. How about uh, how about you?
2: Um, well, I think you and I have been um, lauding this book for quite a while now, so it should be no surprise to anybody that. I give a two enthusiastic thumbs up. Um, thumbs I up what? W- uh, thumbs up to the sky. Uh, oh, okay. Thumbs up for peace. Hey. Uh, I'm raising tigers up. for peace. Uh, cr- crossing the aisle. Left thumb, right thumb. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the thing that I like most about it, because we didn't really dissect it, too much is although we did mention that and this might go back to briley's point a bit too the guy who wrote it is an empire magazine guy largely like he's, yeah. a, he's a he's an entertainment journalist uh and did a lot of stuff for empire magazine uh and the book kind of came out of him oh god i'm i didn't i was gonna do a count it was one of those dumb numbers things that i wanted to do i wanted to check the references and find out how many of the references that he pulled you like the the uh, what do you call them? Not the footnotes, the, the
1: citations, or the citations, yeah. I guess. that's a good word yeah. for
2: it. The, at the end of the book, that how much were his articles? How many were from Empire where he was working, but other people's interviews, and how many came from other sources? Because it feels like it's like an eighty percent Empire magazine book. Yeah, <laughs> All right, folks. Yeah, I have a sticky note about this. Oh, there we and go. If, if you had, if you
3: were timing, you're like, stop it now. Uh, All right. Did anyone First. else notice how often Dave Thomas is cited as a reference? Yeah. Because I sure did. And I went through and I kept a tally. How he, many? He's cited 22 times yeah. wow. as a reference, which is more than most magazines and
2: newspapers <laughs> are cited
3: so as
2: direct references. Did you have the, the same impression? I didn't check and see if those... Uh were cited from an interview or my impression upon reading was he had contact with Dave Thomas and could go to Dave Thomas and double Maybe, check stuff. But <laughs> like, that,
3: that raises a further question for me, which is why is Dave Thomas not featured in the book?
0: Surprise, so we'll definitely not, he, get didn't, that. he didn't talk to Dave Thomas. It was a scapegoat. He just made it all up. <laughs> I don't know. Just
1: attributed to Dave Thomas. That's
2: fine. <laughs> Well, no there's... one's
0: g- no one's going to ask him.
2: It's time to get <laughs> Dave his book Thomas is out. not going to come out of retirement and complain about this. It's uh, time to to get him uh, stricken from the Oprah Book Club then uh, for uh, for making up his sources. But uh, I think what I like most about the book was uh, immaterial where it all came from. A lot of this stuff, not all of it, there were some real good revelations and some real good perspective. Specifically because of what I'm about to say that I got reading the book. But a lot of this stuff I kind of had a sense of from over the years and just reading other stuff, possibly even some of his interviews and articles and Empire. I had a sense of all of this stuff, but he kind of built it in a way that there was like a flow and a chronology and, you know, tying pieces of twine together that hadn't been I hadn't really read connected or, you know, moving from one actor to another actor within the same time frame to give some perspective and all that. So I think that's what I liked about it the most is it's really for all of it's, uh, I'm not going to say flaws for all of its lackings, you know, where's Dave Thomas as a, as a, at least a single chapter, where are the women, uh, all that sort of thing for all of that. Uh, it, it does create a nice kind of snapshot of, a a a lion's share of, of eighties film history, so to speak. So,
1: yeah, I feel like that. That's that's kind of my takeaway too, Chris. And you, you and I have kind of talked about it on the show, yep. so we won't spend too much. But no. it it does try to cover so much ground. And there was a moment at one at one point I was reading, I think it was the section prior to Ghostbusters where uh, Rick Moranis has a few quotes, and and his exact quotation. I'm like, I've I've read that verbatim or heard that verbatim yeah. from somewhere before, and I kind of got that sense like every 10, 15 pages or so. I was like, wait, I've read that somewhere. And then it's probably because it was in one of Nick DeSemelian's Empire articles or uh, like the the one that immediately stands out is uh, Moranis talking about Ghostbusters 2 and how it just didn't have the same uh, magic. And it's yeah. like, I've, I've definitely, maybe it was even in your interview with him, Chris, that I've heard that. Well, um,
2: I was about to say, a lot of this could kind of come from the fact that some of the stuff he's touching on, he... It's it's not unfair. Uh, uh, he he has to treat it from the uh, what's the old thing your teachers tell you right? Pretend the reader doesn't know everything you know. Like yeah. you have to kind of spell it out. So he has to approach all this stuff from from square one for for everybody because there are people that you know haven't heard Rick Moranis talk a million and one times about stuff. Whereas I think we ran into a lot of stuff where we're. Um, you know, they just get interviewed and asked the same question. It's just, Over time, they're going to get asked about the same stuff over and over and over again. So they start giving answers that, you know, sound more, you know, the same. And after a while, we're like, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. And yeah, like Moran is talking about, uh, you know, not, not really feeling the second movie and all that. That's something he addressed a million and one times. I have anything to do with the guys working on Ghostbusters. It feels like almost all of that. We'd heard a million times before it was the stuff that they touched on after the ghost, but making of Ghostbusters yeah. and like the, the whole chapter on Bill Murray dealing with post Ghostbusters, all that stuff. I'm like, well, this is kind of new.
1: Yeah. It was sort of there were a lot of their stock answers that we've heard uh over and over and over. But then yeah, there were a few gems in there, uh which is yep. kind of a, a good segue into maybe our our first kind of in-depth discussion topic here. But
2: <laughs> hey, Gold Star Me, you Those did
1: segments. it segue. Uh what was the, the standout moment? The something that was new to everybody, something that was kind of a revelation, uh something that was surprising. Um, uh, Solange, I know you mentioned that, you know, there were a few things that kind of caught you by surprise. Uh, what, what stands out to you after, uh, after reading about all of these fine comedians?
0: Um, I think it was more so I'm, I'm a little younger. I'm not very familiar with a lot of, um, Steve Martin's earlier work. So his type of, or his sense of humor in his early career, I was like, Oh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have pegged him for that. Yeah. Cuz I know him as that that father figure, right? I'm in that age group where I've seen all those movies and those are how I know him.
3: He's and established his bit with you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of interesting to see and I didn't know he was such an art collector. I love that. That was yeah. I think all my surprises came with with Steve Martin.
1: Yeah. I like uh, Martin Short's quote when he saw all of the art was something to the effect of how did you get so rich? I've seen your work. That was a, yeah. a fun moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, Steve Martin is certainly a central figure throughout all of this. Uh, there are a few standouts: uh, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, uh, Belushi. Of course, uh, v- sort of disappears after a while for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, it was. If there were a protagonist, I think it was probably Steve Martin across all of this.
2: Steve Martin and a little bit of Bill Murray. And I thought that was kind of because the two of them maintain – they're the ones who have maintained the longest, if that makes any sense. They come out of the book looking the best. Yeah.
3: Like, when you end the book with poor Dan Aykroyd doing nothing but trouble, you're not giving him a really good shake, like a final shake here.
2: Not a very fair one either. And and that smacks of a guy who is kind of – I don't know, the years when when Dan returned here to do, like, the Arrow miniseries and stuff like that. It's like he just stopped paying attention altogether, and then it didn't matter where Dan ended up, he just wasn't paying attention anymore. And Dan kept doing some, well, I mean, we'd have to discuss sci Factor a little bit, I guess. uh.
0: (laughs) I love, I love crazy out there, I'm going to do whatever I want, Dan Aykroyd, that's my favorite Dan Aykroyd.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's the only Dan Aykroyd.
0: I absolutely, absolutely loved it.
2: If this book has told us nothing, that's been Dan Aykroyd from a very early age. Um,
3: (laughs) Even, like, Chevy Chase with his resurgence in Community. Like, it's kind of a couple of sentences, and yeah, Chevy Chase did Community, and everybody liked him. (laughs) End of statement.
2: He's he's very much a bit of a, a movie snob in that, like I said, uh... Well, Martin kind of disappeared too. So I, I don't know. I guess I guess if, if I was to take a guess, this came up in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reference this show a couple of times because it actually does tie back into the book in a few places. But, um, uh, comedians and cars getting coffee. A couple mm-hmm. of people mentioned offhand that they regard Steve Martin as the smartest of all that generation of comedians. So I'm I'm thinking he's I, I'm thinking that. Uh, Steve Martin maintains such a thread through the book. It's probably because he's a, a bit of a, uh, the author's a bit of a, a, bit of a super fan in that regard.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, I think they spend more time talking about Steve Martin's failures uh, than Dan Eckerd getting an Oscar and driving Miss Daisy. You know, it's like yeah. there, there is that kind of bias, which I think Bri- Briley, you had mentioned, right. The, the mm-hmm. sense of, of bias throughout the, the entirety of the book.
3: Yeah, uh, I definitely sense some of that. I mean, he's taking a snapshot, a very specific snapshot of comedy in the 80s, because uh, I think that's when you can really start seeing a popular rise in the stand-up and sketch comedian comedy as a mainstream event. Because before that, a lot of comedy was just very broad uh, Mel Brooks tv and movies right uh you didn't get a lot of popular stand-up comedians who were the jerry seinfelds of their age like it's the 80s that gave birth to jerry seinfeld and that in turn made everyone like we got to get the next stand-up where's the next guy who's working the clubs give him a show right yeah Uh, so this is really focused on that and that's why you don't get a lot of like other comedians that are working in the eighties who had an influence on it. You don't, he doesn't really talk about Robin Williams. He doesn't really talk about, uh, Carol Burnett, who was in active in the seventies with her own TV show. He doesn't talk about the golden girls. And how do you miss the D and D perfect group? That is the golden girls. When you are talking about comedy that has lasted a long time. Um, but he's looking very specifically at this, this sketch, uh, kind of very married to the current culture comedian set. Because that's really what Saturday Night Live and, to a lesser extent, SCTV was really about. I think it's been said before, I think you guys might have said it before, where there are some classic sketches in Saturday Night Live. You go back and you're like, ah, Shark, that's great. Flowers, plumber, <laughs> yeah. funny, and then there's others where it's like Gerald Ford trying to inject a joint, and it's like, who is Gerald Ford, and why do I care? Right, like it has not aged well because it's of the moment. It's extremely of the moment. Yeah, and that's Plus. both a, a strength and it and in because we're looking back over so long now, it's like what what is this?
2: Well, yeah, the the further we move away from the 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 earlier years of SNL, the more it turns in. like, our recollections of it turn into a best of. Mm-hmm. Like, we forget that every SNL season, every SNL episode has its hits and its clunkers, right? Like, it's just that we get this far down the line, it's, you know... You only remember uh, the hits. Yeah. F- feed uh, your finger to through the wolves and all that is just kind of... We remember all the stuff that, that tickled our funny bones and there's a lot of stuff where you're like, Ugh, yeesh. Yes, <laughs> so... Let's put it this way: nobody talks about the Muppets much anymore on this so. <laughs> no, and So,
3: no, and
0: I just learned that the Muppets were started on Saturday Night Live, like literally like weeks oh, ago.
3: Sweet summer child, really.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting experiment. Uh, yeah, what?
1: you've you've missed out on Scrat singing with Lily Tomlin, yeah. if I remember
3: correctly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going oh, to hear YouTube Fozzie's though. voice making like
2: crude jokes. Yeah, I love it. I'm gonna
0: have to look all of it up. I want to watch
2: it. And, and watch some of the all. classics that we remember from the Muppet Show, got their got their debut on SNL. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. like, except for they're like, hey, that's from my childhood. It's like, no, this was on counterculture late night television. So yep. Eh. Uh,
1: but because of how quickly they move, like SNL is kind of just a flash in the pan in the book too. It's like
3: yeah. It's a starting point.
1: Yeah, obviously they can't dwell. You're trying to do whatever, uh, 40 years worth of history in in one book, so you can't dwell too long. But for what an inspiration it was, it's just kind of a quick mention.
3: At the same time, I don't know if this read for anyone else, but the author really put an emphasis on everybody wanted to leave. Yeah. Like, no one wanted to stay in SNL, because at the time, that wasn't a cultural Keystone, it no. was a quirky little experiment show. Like Chevy Chase, as soon as he got money, was gone. Uh, yeah. Eddie Murphy went in saying, "No, as soon as I can get paid, I am." You watch my ass leave
2: the door, right? The minute they got any heat, they wanted to translate it into what they regarded as real startup a proper career, right? Movies, yeah.
0: But it's got to be hard to work in that kind of environment though. I mean like everyone's always like, "Oh, Lauren Michaels, uh, I don't know the guy. I don't know what he's like to work for." But uh having such a short amount of time to come up with these things and then perform them live and and not only have to please an audience sitting on the other side of a screen, but their live audience and it's it's a lot of pressure. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past people to be like, "No, man, as soon as I get a better paycheck, I'm out of here." Especially yeah, when but it's comedy's all so new.
2: Yeah, we have to, like, again, the more we move away from it, the more we think that they were on there for a long time. And they, like, compared to, like, you know, Will Ferrell and all, and Tina Fey and all them. like, Who's that one had... guy
0: who's still on, on SNL right now?
2: Or uh, Michaels. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Kenan Thompson's been on there Kenan for yes. on 10 there years a long now. Yeah.
2: Time. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's like those guys are doing, like, marathon runs now compared to, like, Chevy Chase was what? A couple of years, maybe a season. I can't. I can't recall. I think it, I think it was know, a season. Yeah, yeah. Like he was the breakout in the first season. And he just went. That's it. I'm gone. Bill Murray yep. was like three years. Aykroyd was four, maybe. Just really short. But they did. Like times. they,
1: they had a sense of loyalty to Lauren. I mean, that does come out. You know, in the guys uh, wanting to stay behind. I think that was during. Was it the Blues Brothers filming? Somebody had had mentioned, like, oh, I, f- I felt terrible uh, that I was abandoning Lauren. So, uh, you know, I, I stayed behind and did as much uh, work as I could and then was uh, uh, traveling back and forth. And actually all of them, like Belushi did that. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy did that. Uh, Akra did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I I mean, uh, there is a sense of loyalty, but you're right. Like, that doesn't really come out in the page. It's more like, eh, we did this SNL thing, but it was all about the movie money. We wanted that.
3: How how much... Sorry, go ahead. I think he's, as you mentioned, he's propelling us to the movies. He wants to talk about the movies as the cultural keystones of the story. So, he can't really afford to spend pages saying yeah. everybody was loyal and they wanted to do this yeah. and this guy tried to do that and that guy tried to do this and this guy just went but that guy stayed around he, he wants to talk about the movies and that's fair but um, it's also when you're talking about because it's from the title it seems like he wants to talk about the culture of comedy yeah. and what came out of that because comedy is a massive thing to influence culture and what is the this specific brand of comedy in the 80s? How does that translate on? What does that mean going ahead? How is this subversive for the time? How is this stated now?
2: Yeah. It also then answered, that answers the question of uh, why certain people aren't really in the books. Like, no Robin Williams, because Robin Williams... Actually, it kind of answers the question why some people are in there, and then... No, it fits. Sorry, I had a a small uh, brain synapse fry for a second there, but um, like uh, Rob Williams, you know, kind of had his comedy stand up. He had his meteoric rise like uh, like uh, Steve Martin did, although not quite to the same height, had it went TV, TV hit big for him. And then I think that's kind of where he spiked in comedy afterwards, whereas Steve Martin had moved on. But Steve Martin did the eighties comedies and then transitioned to try, you know to more cerebral movies. Like Robin Williams kind of did the comedy thing to late eighties and then he kinda of, his even his early movies, like are all comedies, but not you know, Moscow and the Hudson and stuff like that are I will not sit here and
3: have you decry Popeye.
2: But even then, that's a that's a what's his name uh, film, Robert like, uh, Altman. That's yeah. an Altman film. That's yeah. you know that's no, it was his first film. It's 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 again, it's kind of a comedy, but yeah, he can't, Altman comes in with it's it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not coming at us like Back to the Future or whatever. This was no. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, that kind of answers the question why certain people. It was it's it's an. But then again, it also lends itself to why Steve Martin kind of is getting a special treatment in this with Steve. Mar- well, no, Steve Martin, again, has his his huge ties to SNL as well. Not I was going to say, cast, he's as,
0: yeah, he's kind of yeah. like a featured player almost because he's been on it so many times. So, many so he kind of fits yeah. into that that group
3: over the years. Like Steve Martin still hosts SNL and it's like the thing I think yeah. it's somewhat the initiation of a new cast when it's okay we have steve martin steve martin's the host if they don't fly with steve we take
0: him out in the alley and shoot him
3: (laughs) put him out of his misery (laughs) no one will see your presidential impression now
2: troy i'm gonna drag you in uh quickly here anybody can answer this question but i know this is something troy and i have uh well, we've talked about what uh, the the movie quite a bit. What is the overlap between uh, uh, a Feudal and stupid gesture and the book? Oh. Do you figure about halfway into the book, basically. Uh,
1: I mean, maybe yeah, sort Caddyshack of. Caddyshack half- era, right? Caddyshack era. Doug Kenny is kind of the the biggest overlap. I mean that that to me was the most surprising thing was that National Lampoon Radio Hour got. Two sentences uh
2: yeah. you know I think Gr- got
1: groundlings one. got us i'm sorry lemmings got like a mention duck um, got one mention in it, it, if i recall it it correctly yeah it so it's it's almost like and i think i, th- I as you guys were talking this is kind of what i've i've latched on to i feel like um De was he he took peter I think it was Peter Biskind who wrote uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls, the book about the movies in the 70s, uh, obviously influential still to this day. Um, I think he took that as his template and was like, I'm going to make Easy Riders Raging Bulls, but for comedy in the 80s. Um, And then because of that, wanted to focus on the movies so much and so intently that he lost sight of actually what really defined this generation, which was exactly that all the stuff that you saw in feudal and stupid gesture, all of them coming together and putting together this alt comedy, um, that SNL was kind of the result of, um, but, yeah, and then you, you, the, the problem with that then is you get to a certain point and you're talking about Dan Aykroyd doing nothing but trouble and, oh, heavenly dog.
2: And, uh, yeah. my stepmother is an alien.
1: Yeah. My stepmother isn't like, oh, oh heavenly dog is Chevy Chase. I'm sorry. But, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, y- you, you moved so quickly that you're now into if this. If anyone has that,
3: seen it, they're not going to care. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs>
1: this is true. Um. But yeah, I mean, that was the most I when I went into this book, I was expecting more like a futile and stupid gesture, both the book and the movie um, or even the documentary. I I thought we were going to be getting more of that alt comedy origins, uh, all of these people coming together and and finding their sensibilities. But I was a little surprised that that was all finished by page one. 50, 60. Uh, by that point, we were into 1984 and talking about Ghostbusters and post-Stripes <laughs> era. And this is I, this is
3: so I have an observation go. about... Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm going to walk all
2: over you tonight. I, sorry, I, buddy. Well, you usually I have to pay somebody for that, so go ahead. <laughs> Who says you're not paying me? I'm not being paid?
3: Wait, we have to pay? Well, it? hell with it! You oh, can talk! Oh, boy. <laughs> no. Um, when you had said the overlap between this and futile and stupid gesture. I didn't think you meant time. I thought you meant subject. Mm. And in that, there is there's definitely an over- overlap, and they handle it completely differently, and that is the drug use. Whereas in this, they don't shy away from saying it. They ha- are saying very plainly and very openly, like, Dan Aykroyd took a whole bunch of quaaludes and wrote this. Yeah, Chevy Chase was doing coke like it was powdered sugar, and in this, it's just kind of breeze through, it's just a thing that was going on like everybody was doing it. I mean, it was yeah. the 80s, so yeah, we were all doing coke, but still. Um, whereas in Feudal and Stupid Gesture, they absolutely link that to the comedy and yeah. they absolutely talk about yeah, we were all on drugs and we produced some great stuff and it also destroyed us. Yeah. And it's not stated in this, in the book quite so much, but you, it, it's very clear, at least to me, and I'm coming at it from a very, very unique perspective, of as soon as they started getting clean, they stopped doing really hard experimental stuff. As soon as they started to not uh, uh, go with drugs and alcohol, that's when you get them going, Yeah, I'm going to do a nice, safe comedy. Yeah. And maybe it'll be great, maybe it won't. But well, uh,
0: do you think it would have to do with maybe them trying to clean up their image so that they can be maybe a little bit more hireable?
3: Possibly. Uh, it could also just be with them thinking, Well, I'm not. Uh, a young man anymore and if I keep doing this I'm going to die so I need to change what I do entirely I could also be with them just thinking look if I don't have this chemical induced edge I simply will not be funny Hmm. and I won't put myself into a spotlight where I'm going to not be funny in front of a lot of people if I'm coked out of my head and I do oh heavenly dog I won't remember it and I can disavow it but if I'm clean, and then I do something, I I can't say I wasn't in my right head.
2: Uh, it, it, the Invisible Man, I think, is what you're trying the to, invisible to man. reference. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, it, do you think that's why oh, they spend? Oh, Sam Neill. Oh, uh, Sam Neill. Memoirs of an Thank Invisible God.
3: Man. Thank God. Jurassic Park came along. That man deserves a bit, a good career. Yeah.
1: Um, do you guys think that that's why they spent so much time and put such a heavy emphasis on Eddie Murphy being clean and, and not partaking in drugs and, and not drinking? And he was so uh, focused on his career and becoming a star that uh, when uh, John Belushi and, and Dan Aykroyd threw a Coke in front of him, he's like, you guys are going to die young. Uh, like. it that really felt like that was eddie murphy's introduction which felt very strange to me too that that's that's our first glimpse of the star that was eddie murphy was that he was he was the straight edge to them i I, it's a contrast yeah Yeah, he doesn't stay straight well and yeah that also that also was like uh wait a minute i i mean i know he uh uh, he 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 loved his women, which they mention over and over and over and over and over again. But yes. yeah,
3: the Radio City Rockettes as the women he loved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. But I have a
3: biography. I hope they use
2: that line. Well, you you had some some guidance talking points here, and uh, Troy, and this kind of yeah. leads in, into one of them, which is. The thing that shocked me the most, it's kind of two things. You had two questions, and they kind of overlapped for me. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> a, how young they all were. Like, when you're a kid and you're first introduced to SNL, they're older, right? I mean, they are technically still older sort of thing. But now I'm sitting here at 46 looking back at guys who were, you know, hitting high heat in movies at late 20s do you know what i mean so all their snl stuff and all that is just dumb kid stuff do you know what i mean like it's it's the one thing that and eddie murphy especially like eddie murphy i never realized how close in age eddie murphy and i are just from a perspective thing because when he was on snl you know i was a kid still going through grade school but when he hit snl he was Barely out of grade school age. He was like 19, yeah. 18, 19 years old. He nineteen. So so I'm sitting there and they're talking about like him going off to do Beverly Hills Cop, like how old he was when he did Beverly Hills Cop was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I think the impression I got from all of this is a lot of that early eighties hit stuff they did. It's real, kind of like this. This goes back to Ghostbusters too. Everybody's like Ghostbusters, perfect, and 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 more to the point, they go, and you can never recreate it because it's lightning in a bottle. It's like, yeah, it's mostly lightning in a bottle. Like we've talked about it before. You push a couple of pieces either way in Ghostbusters, and it kind of, kind of doesn't work. And a lot of their stuff, like the directors as well, like l- listening to them talk about. Landis and Spielberg and them trying to like work with the stars and Spielberg wanted to involve Belushi and Aykroyd and got them on 1941, like 1941. So everybody, Spielberg's genius. And then you point and go, yeah, have you seen 1941? Right, like you can see what they're trying to do and it didn't work. Or Chevy Chase, you know, came out big and then just kind of folded real quick and stuff. And it's the book really drives home the point that individually. Like just in a standalone, if you if you met them at a party or whatever, or hung out with them, fall down funny. And under certain circumstances, like Saturday Night Live or whatever, if you could set them up, they could knock it down. But then the more complicated things got, like trying to put a movie production together or something like that, uh, it just or you know mix groups of them together to make a movie. It just yeah, yeah, anything well, that yeah. had. Anything that took a long... Actually, that's, that's, I think, what it comes down to is movies take time. Saturday Night Live took kind a of a week to write and yeah. the, the, a couple hours to perform. And the party stuff that they talked about, like how genius they were, some of those party stuff things they did. Genius because it was just a party. Like, it was their, you know, uh, a hot 15 minutes where everybody's hanging around drinking and feeling really happy and there's no, no stakes, right? Like... So that's the thing that surprised me most they're all so young and so gung ho and just it's like shooting a shotgun. Yeah, some of it hit and some of it just went all, all over the place.
1: Well, and there was more pressure on them as as they were younger too, right? Bradley, that's the you had mentioned that comedy born out of pressure uh oh God.
3: Comedy far is more successful.
1: Pressure. Yeah, so so I have
3: never felt worse in my life when I was on a stage and nobody laughed and I had to crawl my ass off. It is really bad it is death you really want to die it is the worst thing ever Uh, it always reminds me of uh, the Ender's game series like the adult one because they talk about a crowd being a living thing and when the crowd leaves the speaker it feels like you've lost a limb it really kind of does it really feels like yeah I just lost a part of me that I was
2: enjoying I'd
3: like to have that back please
2: yeah. You can see then why a lot of them uh, jumped on drugs. Jugs, drugs is a good way to... Uh, t- I'm sorry. I, yeah, that's moment, the lesser known but, sequel to Hop on Pop. Yeah. My <laughs> tongue my tongue got tied for a second. Instead of drugs, I said Jugs. But my second point was Eddie Murphy, the straight edge, he turned to Jugs. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and And... And, and then if you want to look at Ackroyd at and Belushi, both of them, you know, Belushi especially, turned into drugs and all that. They both, to, to, you know, to, to wind themselves up and bring themselves back down. But their side gig was what? Music. Because guess yeah. what? The Blues Brothers never got booed. Everybody there was, they were going to hear music and they were going to love it. Like So they went out. A Blues Brothers concert is, was always a successful performance high. Versus your movie flops or SNL sketch doesn't go as well or what have you, sort of thing. Yeah.
3: But I think it's also the the ensemble nature of it because uh, Saturday Night Live and SCTV, it's a group and it is much easier to improve ideas in a group setting, but you don't get critical fame for yourself that way.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. But if you go out you're risky like you can have a great movie but it could also be nothing and there's no one to blame but you
2: yeah
1: which is the chevy chase path i mean that's they they even show that fork in the road where he's sitting down with john landis uh and they they steer him toward being in foul play because look you can be the
2: the star you can be in an
3: ensemble
2: yeah uh reverse psychology yeah Although all this sets up stuff throughout the book. Like what I found great about the book was suddenly realizing stuff that I think we all knew was funny but took for granted just how uniquely funny it was. Like uh, when they brought um, uh, Chevy and Bill together, like they needed a crossover between their two characters and Caddyshack. And they have that whole... Three or four pages, or a couple pages, or whatever it is, talking about those two not on the greatest terms, but are in a movie to make the movie work better. They kind of need to cross over; otherwise, it's two different stories that never touch one another. And the two of them largely improvised that entire scene of them together at, in uh, Carl's uh, in, uh, in his shed. You know, in yeah. his shed. So, and there's the book. Uh, I don't have a list, unfortunately, but there's several times throughout the book where they talk about something that we're all familiar with, like real comedy, you know, uh, they, they show up in clip shows and stuff like that as, as examples of what was funny about a particular movie or something like that. And we, now that we've seen like what the run-up to it was... And then kind of the behind the scenes of it is just how amazing some of those things are.
1: Yeah. That was to me, that was the uh, national lampoon's Christmas vacation. The revelation that Chevy chase and Beverly D'Angelo were fighting tooth and nail leading up to that scene where they're looking out the window at uh, cousin Eddie uh, emptying his toilet into the sewer line. And I mean, how, how often do you think of that? That's one of the iconic moments from the film makes you laugh the most. And, and, uh, apparently the two of them were just sniping at each other and just bickering yeah. and yelling, and then uh, 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 the director yells action, and all of a sudden they're on, and that's that's one of the most memorable moments from the film. You have no idea that uh, that that was happening behind the scenes, but
2: but what's missing, unfortunately, is a lot of context beyond it. Like it's presented as, and they hated one another. Yeah, but why? Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: why? But, that's what I no, want to know. I'm yeah. nosy.
2: <laughs> yeah, like not only why, but then there's no sense of like the book doesn't really because it doesn't deal with the why and it never really gets into the afterwards thing cuz of course the 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 book is not it's got a lot to talk about. So it's not like it's going to get into the it the entire you know three decade relationship of Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase sort of thing. But we all know that you know, time apart and stuff like that. It was enough that, you know, you could finally bring them back together to do the yeah. little uh, vacation short and stuff like that. Or, you know, Bill reconnected with Ramus uh, before Ramus passed away. Things like that, right? Like is just
1: you, you, and again you, you wanted more lose than the, the, f- the Animal House uh, theme song at the end for each person, like Dan yeah. Aykroyd went on to write Ghostbusters Hellbent. He still thinks it'll be made. Like <sighs> You can't give me more resolution on Dan Aykroyd than that.
3: (laughs) Well, I'd rather that than nothing but trouble. He had a penis for a nose. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: but I don't, I mean, well, well, I mean, before I forget about it, nothing but trouble, the revelation there, and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about. Um, with with the pressure being alleviated and suddenly the ensemble and it wasn't it wasn't about trying to get something done. Uh, I didn't know that every actor on Nothing But Trouble had their own separate monitor and they were watching their playback of their scenes and checking out their hair and their makeup Ugh. and.
0: Oh my gosh! All,
1: that whole part was was completely new to me and uh, whoever it was that showed up on set and said, "Dan, you got to get rid of these monitors. You're you're killing yourself here." Um, yeah it was
2: a director wasn't it who the was hell it was landis it landis
1: or <laughs> ramus I, I can't remember who it was yeah but um but anyway so yeah i, I had to tag on to nothing but trouble for that there <laughs> um well, so one of the other talking points that I had here that, uh, might be kind of a good natural segue is, are there people that we see in a different light because of, of this book? Um, you know, f- for example, speaking of Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo fighting, I knew Chevy Chase was very difficult to work with. I knew that he was kind of a pain and still might be uh, kind of a pain, but I actually empathized with the guy, like the book, the book painted him in a light where you felt sorry for him right out of the gate. He had a troubled childhood, uh, abusive, yelled at for being 15 minutes late after curfew, uh, and, you know, beaten and put into the the closet. Um, you know, was there somebody that you read this and you thought, Oh, I had no idea that they were that way, or I had no idea that that was their personality type off the screen.
0: I spoke about it earlier. No, 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 nobody,
1: (laughs) nobody was sort
3: of,
0: no, not like I you said. Maybe I agree
3: with her. Yeah, maybe was saying, it
0: but, was like the, like you said, maybe a little bit of Steve Martin earlier on. But yeah, no, no one's, nothing surprised me, in that sense. I was like, yeah, no, okay, figured. Like obviously, don't, like, don't beat your kids. Don't lock them in closets and stuff like that. But that's horrible. But yeah. like adult Chevy Chase, I was like, yeah, no, okay, that seems right. And I've never met the guy. So it's uh, and Eddie Murphy. I'm like, you can tell. I don't know what's in their eyes, man. Yeah.
1: Well, can, can I float this to you? Because and maybe maybe I read too much into this. But um, Rick Moranis, who I've always kind of seen as like he's the nice guy. He's the, uh, the the next door neighbor who everybody loves, even though he's you know kind of annoying and pestering or whatever. Like Rick Moranis, I've always looked at as, as such a nice dude. The The book kind of makes him out to be a jerk. Do you, do you get that sense
3: from like
1: him? No, uh,
3: really? No. Yeah. (laughs) I got him being a professional. That's what I got. I would say, I mean, he might've been a little like as a professional, I don't want to do this or I want to rewrite that because I want to give my best work, but I didn't get the same sense. Like he was being entitled or he wanted to promote the Rick Moranis brand. It seemed like he was always in it for the work. He wanted to do his best work. It didn't matter if it's opposite a plant or opposite a gigantic ant or any of that. It's I want to put my best foot forward, and if I don't, I don't like it.
0: There's someone. There's a quote in the book. I Forgot who they're talking to, but they're talking about how he always showed up, and he was so polite and very. I bet you it was Dave and Thomas, c- Canadian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it probably was.
2: Yeah, but but, but
0: yeah, I know mean, he didn't. I don't. I didn't come. He didn't come off that way to it, me
2: in the point, book. Point of order. I don't think he ever acted against a giant ant. If I recall correctly, it was the kids. It was the it was yeah. The, but, it was in the title, anyways. But uh, you know, neither here nor there. Wasn't but, that Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves? <laughs> I don't know. I had to, I stopped at "Honey, I blew up the baby" because really your the title was better than the movie. Internet, uh, <laughs> validate me. <laughs> boy, that's but, asking uh, for trouble. Yeah, I want, oh, I, boy. I kind of want to. I kind of want to side with them a little bit. Uh, there, Troy. You're on your own, Troy. Um, That's okay. It's a,
0: Canadi- is, it's, a it's, Canadian a, it's a Canadian
1: thing. How dare I speak ill of Rick Moranis.
2: Well, what it is is... By the it, time it, we're
1: done, Troy, you're going to be putting
2: yous everywhere. It, <laughs> it clearly shows a demarcation between the title, the Wild and Crazy Guys, and the handful that he included in there that were not Wild and Crazy Guys. Yeah. Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, Martin Short they weren't running in those circles uh as much like they weren't really like super you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. there was there was overlap the venn diagram overlapped but um even um uh john candy to a degree drank hard smoked hard and all that but not he's kind of coming from that canadian angle and uh, you know what i mean like yeah there's a, but but specifically uh, martin uh, martin short martin uh steve martin and uh, and rick moranis all of them not you know not hard users uh and all of them super you know super into what they were you know they're i think of any of them you could say those were the three guys that regarded it as a as a as a, a professional craft that they were working to hone Whereas the rest of them were running on, you know, pure charisma and chutzpah and talent, raw talent for, man, a long, long time. Like, and to a degree, like Murphy's angle, I don't know how much he gets even hands-on with stuff. Like, it's almost like he kind of, he kind of, you know, left the building with a single bound. And I I, I kind of, you know, lately he's... Uh, he's kind of plotting a way back through and in and all that, but I, st- I still don't think he's like, I don't think he ever went, well, I'm going to learn how to write a superscript, and I'm a super screenwriter or whatever. I'm pretty sure he's still surrounded by people or partners that he collaborates with and all that. So
0: are yeah. you sure? Have you seen Norbert?
2: <laughs> That's sure true. Norbert? Maybe
3: I don't. Hey, Troy, I, don't I have a question for you. Yeah. As the token American, <laughs> Uh, how do you feel about Canadian comedy? I assume you have seen SCTV. I assume you've c- consumed your share of uh, Canadian comedic talent. Oh yeah, absolutely. How do you feel about that? And how, what does that translate to the the eighties genre?
1: Well, I would I would say, and and maybe it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I feel like it was downplayed in the book. I feel like the the influence of Canadian comedy and, and how how much of the brand that is being presented in this book was built upon Canadian comedy was really downplayed. And I think that comes, you know, the everybody convening uh, in Chicago is kind of what the author is saying is like, this was the confluence of everybody and everybody came to Chicago to Second City. But uh, I think that a lot yeah. of of sight is is lost on that. Now, I mean, again, they really do call out, especially with Moranis and and John Candy, and you know the the Canadian influence, and even in, in um, uh, Dan Aykroyd's passages too. Dave uh, Thomas. <laughs> Dave Thomas is very quick to always talk about Canada, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it. I mean, I I don't. Maybe that's why I've always kind of had a fondness for Canadian comedy because I feel like the, the influence of it is felt in all of these things in all of these films and uh Saturday night live and, and anything and everything that we've been talking about or is mentioned in the books. So, uh, I guess, can I, can I become a Canadian? I guess that's what I'm saying. Do I have to be the token American? Can you guys just like adopt me? How does that work? Well,
2: well you've we got to kiss, you the card, eh? <laughs> kiss the cod, eh?
1: Kiss the cod, eh?
2: No, that's, you can do that's it. to become a Newfoundlander. <laughs> There's another type of Canadian? <laughs> I don't know. Ask somebody from Cape Breton, see what they you say. Got um, you got a mainline Putin.
0: There's a baptism in a vat of maple syrup.
1: That sounds delicious. Oh, that's Sign true. Sign me up. That's
0: true. And then we cover you in beaver pelts and send you down um, uh, the mountain in Montreal.
1: Isn't that the plot to spies like us? I'm pretty sure it is. No? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, so, so yeah. So why, why do you ask Briley? Is that kind of, what? are you feeling like it's downplayed a little bit too much in the book? Is that the sense that you were getting or?
3: No, not at all. I feel like I wanted a new perspective because I have lived in the Canadian climate and culture. And I think we look at, things like sctv and i think a lot of americans may not even know what it is yeah and i don't know how widespread it could be i don't know how uh air quotes canadian some of these actors seem because if you don't know john candy at all until you see him in uncle buck and cool runnings you would never think he's canadian yeah it's not a shtick he does. You would never see that. But when we look at him, I do see him as Canadian, and that influences my viewpoint of him. But I'm curious how much that viewpoint translates to to other countries. Or is he a truly a man of the world? Is comedy truly boundless and boundaryless?
2: I I would interject that I don't think he, like John Candy or any of the rest of the SETV ones, uh, it, I don't think they're regarded as highly uh, in the States as they are in Canada, but SETV had a good long run on, what was it, Stars and a couple other stations. Like, So the, I, I, I know for a fact you listen to podcasts and comedians, like, to the person, will say they all uh, watched... SCTV, I guess the younger ones, not so much, but man, uh, like up until about 10 years ago, all the, all the comedians and all that sort of, they all watched and yeah. loved the hell. Like for them, it was, it was sort of like for the people who caught first wave SNL and they went, yeah, punk comedy, this is breaking with tradition. They, a bunch of them turned to SCTV and went, SNL's not our thing, but SCTV is totally subversive. They, yeah, so. Well, it's also cut.
3: like the comedians are in the craft right yeah Were the ones who would look
2: at this and be influenced yeah but they weren't comedians is what i mean they're all talking about growing up watching it on tv they'd stay up late and they catch it and that was it was their snl so you know I, i it doesn't quite answer troy's question it doesn't really support your your answer either but i just wanted to point out that i don't think i don't think he entirely came out of left field with uncle buck or even, no. or even Splash, right? It's not like he can't... I think, actually, you, an argument can be made that for mainstream America, he kind of hit the scene in whatever that was, 87 with Splash or 86, and then kind of went from there.
1: Uh, I mean, that's the bummer is that a lot of people... There There was a, a person at my office who I was like, oh, it's like that John Candy movie, uh, Who's Harry Crum? And she's like, John Candy? And I, I wanted to keel uh-oh. over and die. Um, but, so, I mean, I think... Why would you say that? I know. I I mean, so, but knowing there is the, you know, Chris, you mentioned uh, comedians who grew up watching SCTV and obviously as a Ghostbusters fan, there's overlap there with the SCTV crowd. But I think outside of that, maybe, and maybe that's kind of the nice thing that this book is going to do is it provides that time capsule for people who are unfamiliar with this particular uh, generation of comedy to reinforce that SCTV was, Uh, kind of a a major player, and it was sort of the anti-SNL at the time.
2: Yeah. Um, But then this leads into one of your other questions, because everything you say is not wrong, but it is weakened by the fact that they left a lot of people out, and a lot of them are women, both SNL and STV. Because, yeah, it did form as a foundation for that snapshot of comedy, but... None of that works if you don't. Uh, Gilda Radner got what three pages, like
1: if that. I mean, so fights. can can we? Let's Catherine jump ahead. is not mentioned. Yeah,
2: mentioned once. No, no, Andrew, Martin. Is, is no Andrea Andrew Martin. Martin. Very briefly, like there's there's some names drop, like Jane Curtin and all that, like, kind of mentioned in passing. But Jane Curtin was like co-anchor of 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 Weekend Update, like.
0: Not according to the book. She didn't exist.
2: No.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's. Uh, And then, and then all the way up to SCTV, uh, yeah. Andrea Martin. Um, you mentioned Catherine O'Hara already, like any of them. And just, uh, anyways,
1: I, I feel like, and, and it, it got to the point where I felt bad because they were being peppered in as, as anecdotal, you know, Lorraine Newman shows up and it was just to be like, Oh, Chevy, he was just being Chevy. Yeah, really? That's uh, I mean you're right. I think that that's kind of the, and I get the the name of the book is Wild and Crazy Guys. Uh, so you're you're obviously focusing on the male comedians of the time, um, and and there was a good passage in there. I think it was actually tied to Stripes maybe or to Ghostbusters where they, uh, I think Ivan Reitman is is talking about. Look, it was a different time. Everything was very male centric. Everything was male. Uh, heavy. Um, and
3: that's a stupid and futile gesture.
1: Is that really, was that not in this? Yeah, Am I they're, completing the they They're talking
3: the about like they're condensing the writing staff.
1: Yeah. And they're
3: saying, Oh yeah, there were all these people too, but we're not going to talk about them. Oh, Oh,
1: uh, well there was also, I mean, I think they were talking about the, the flack that they started taking from the female roles in the movies being, uh, sort of these, uh, not, uh, not throw away, but I mean, I guess that's kind of what they were. Like it was, I think it was in the stripes section where they were talking about that. Yeah. It was all of these boys and then Sean Young was in it too. And that's why I'm thinking it was stripes because they were talking about Sean Young and she's like, yeah, I mean, it was what it was. That was of its time. And of course now it's totally different, but, um, I, yeah, I don't, it felt, it did feel strange to be talking about SNL and not talking about Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, um it, surprise
0: it, there's a female sequel coming out we're ruining everyone's childhood.
1: See oh, there we go. <laughs> there
3: we go. I think there's
2: appreciated and stoic girls.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think I think he could do a pretty good sequel. Unfortunately Empire didn't interview any of these people so he'll have to do a yeah, little bit yeah. more research but he could build a really good second book on 80s comedy that steers away from these iconic movies. And focuses like uses like television as a backdrop because then you get to talk not not only like uh, Mork and Mindy and the rise of like Seinfeld and all that as stand ups on cable television, like the rise of the next generation of comedy stars, but not through movies, but through cable television. And then right in the middle of it, you've got Kate and Allie and all this, too. Right. Like you could really build a really nice second snapshot this should have been a part for the end of the discussion. Never mind. Yeah. I will. But, I'll drop it and walk away.
1: <clears throat> yeah, maybe that's that's a good a good stopping point for part one here at our podcast. That was a
2: hell of a first question. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, go, go stoppers. I'm sorry.
2: We'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our call in line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do. And Twitter accounts. Is dead.
0: Uh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Just give me the address.
2: Search Facebook for... It's the Ghostbusters. Interdimensional cross On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charging. I
0: just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? Ah!
2: If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC.
3: That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. <laughs>
1: Well, so there it is, everybody, our first part of our chat uh, with the Ontario Ghostbusters about Nick DeSemlin's Wild and Crazy Guys. Uh, tune in next week for the conclusion where we'll talk a little bit more about Ghostbusters. Uh, as it turns out, we didn't really get into the, the meat of the Ghostbuster stuff in the book, but that's okay because Ghostbusters is a very small part of the book uh, which is, uh, it's, it's okay because we're talking about a period of comedy that I think is very special to a lot of people, uh, who listen to this show. But, uh, anyway, uh, I'm here by myself. Chris is on assignment. Uh, but I did want to talk very briefly about the uh, Hasbro announcement that happened this past week. Uh, kind of out of nowhere, uh, but we do, it's, it's to be expected, uh, with, uh, New York Comic Con and then, uh, with the, Uh, New York International Toy Fair and not uh, until the beginning of next year at this point. So uh, surprise announcement came this week that Hasbro now has the master toy license for uh, Ghostbusters moving forward. Uh, 2020 is going to be a big year obviously with the new movie but they are going to do a a toy line that they say speaks both to the original fans and to the new fans of the uh, series and it could not be more excited. I think it's really cool that, uh, Hasbro has the license moving forward. I mean, Mattel did very great work. They, uh, obviously with the Mattel, uh, or sorry, the Maddie collector, uh, run, uh, they had a ton of awesome figures and they did all of the role playing props, which were really great. Uh, and if you haven't listened to the yes, have some podcasts, uh, interview with toy guru, Scott, no, Neelich, whatever his last name is. He's all he's, he's toy guru. Uh, but he does talk, uh, at pretty great lengths about that, uh, That toy line that is actually getting kind of long in the tooth. It's kind of hard to believe how long ago that uh, Maddie Collector line came out. But anyway, uh, so Hasbro has the license moving forward. Uh, They will in 2020 be picking up the action figures, role playing. uh, Who knows what the future may bring, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun to, to see. Um, And then also something that I thought was really cool is they also announced at the exact same time that they Have uh, started an an initiative to get rid of plastics in all of their packaging Uh, all the stuff that ends up in the dumpster the landfill uh, after you buy the toy and you take it out to breathe and Everything else goes in the trash and it just sits there for decades (laughs) and so they are uh, very kindly uh, working on sustainability uh, to figure out a way to uh, reduce the amount of packaging that, that uses plastics. Blister packs, bubble packs, uh, baggies, uh, all the stuff that just sits and doesn't biodegrade. Uh, they're gonna work on uh, getting rid of that, which is very cool. So 2020, I'm sure we're gonna have plenty of news as we start seeing stuff in the the months to come leading up to Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters film, and there will be plenty of stuff to talk about there. Also, uh, if you have an Amazon Alexa, there's a fun new Ghostbusters app uh, that features the voices of Dan Aykroyd and uh, Ernie Hudson uh, reprising their roles as uh, Ray Stance and Winston Zettermore. Uh, and I haven't been able to play it myself. Uh, hopefully Chris and I can uh, partake and then we can talk about it on a future podcast. But I do hear really good things. I hear it's actually very funny. So uh, if you've got an Alexa, uh, you uh, you can uh, just download that uh, that add-on from the Amazon website and you should be good to go. But uh, next week, everybody, uh, tune in for the second part of our discussion with the Ontario Ghostbusters. Again, a lot of fun. As you can tell, the, the discussion is, uh, we, we get a little loopy. We're a little sleep deprived, but it'll be fun. Trust me. And until then, courage. And we'll see you on the other side. Who you gonna
0: call? Thanks for joining the Who Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net.
3: It used to be one of my two favorite
2: shows. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. <laughs>
3: Next week, though, careless Pets. we